0: like, oh, well, I don't celebrate Halloween. As she continues her quest to be the
1: real-life version of Jan Levinson Gould, she sniffed a lot of candles. That's where you're like, I hope some of this is fake. You're seeing a testament to what one of the most creative and
0: committed minds to ever do this can do. Hello, and welcome to The Big Stream from biglead.com. My name is Steven Douglas. I am joined by my friend and coworker, Kyle Coster. We're here to talk about episode three of the rehearsal, just two men in, in the woods building trust as only men do. Kyle, before we get into uh, episode three, I just wanted to carve out like 30 seconds to 20 minutes if you wanted to share some thoughts on Robin from uh, episode two.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it was, I was nervous the whole time. I knew the guy was bad news the moment I laid eyes upon him. His line, where he said he dreamed of being an NBA basketball player, made me laugh <laughs> harder than I think anything has made me laugh in like three years. I was trying to explain it to my wife why I was in this fit of laughter. And the closest I could come is it's the same thing that my seven-year-old son has been telling me lately. And much like Robin, my son doesn't practice basketball. He can barely dribble. He's under the impression that it's simply a matter of saying he wants to be in the NBA and he will be in the NBA. That was really the first clue that the guy was not all there the moment when you go back to his apartment and he packs the tongue, uh, you couldn't script that. The argument over driving, uh, if he was okay to drive, the reveal that he doesn't have a license plate on the vehicle, that he's consistently <laughs> driving well under the influence of marijuana, it's kind of a remarkable statement on I don't know what that the guy is still in good standing in society and hasn't run into any problems there the roommate can we talk about (laughs) he mentions that the roommate situation wasn't ideal and when we first meet the roommate it seems like oh nice enough guy they're gonna get along Robin obviously is is a total weirdo and and probably a creep based on the three mattresses laying end to end in his room Within a matter of moments, due to the magic of video editing, they're in a screaming confrontation where one person is saying, step to me, step to me. And you (laughs) think they're gonna come to blows. And then the person is being brought in to deal with a child. I have to admit there was part of me that wondered if there was gonna be violence toward a child. And I was extremely uncomfortable with the whole thing. Obviously he only dealt with the robotic baby twice before striking out, as we all know, if your baby wakes up three times <laughs> in the night, that's it. They're out, you're out and you just leave and you go about your life. It is funny. It was amazing to see. I think that it's necessary to probably at least allude to the fact of how sad it is where this woman wants to be a mother. Obviously she's weird. She's a religious zealot she can't find someone who checks all those boxes you see what her match.com dates or whatever go like and you can see the disinterest and how quickly people see the red flags with her and she just wants someone that she enjoys to share this life experience with and maybe it's a good thing that she doesn't have a kid because you have to imagine if this was a real situation and that person was brought into their life like Just all the terrible things that could have gone wrong. So on one hand, while it is funny, there's something about this show that's profoundly sad. And I don't know if we're laughing at the people, if we're disgusted by the people, or if it's just an honest and accurate portrayal of society at large.
0: Well, yeah, that's a great, great uh, segue into uh, episode three, as you talk about uh, how religion plays a uh, part in her life but it's it's not just straight up religion. There's also a, uh, a whiff of a conspiracy in there. First of all, she comes, the episode opens, Nathan and Adam are playing hide and seek. And this is where you could tell she's not ready to be a parent because if you're a parent, you come around that corner, you have to basically pretend you're blind because your small child cannot hide. You can clearly see them, but you have to go. Oh, where are you? Where are you? I don't see you. And she just goes, "Oh, right there behind the curtains." So they come out. And Nathan's like, "Do you notice anything different?" So then she's like, "She's like, oh well, I don't celebrate Halloween because because um, it's it's of the occult and Satanist." And he's like, "I thought it was just people going door to door." That is the classic fielder move
1: where you just kind of feign ignorance. I do believe that he knows at least part of that theory that there are people who don't celebrate Halloween, that it's maybe a pagan ritual. She takes it a step further with the conspiracy theory that you alluded to. Uh, someone at Vulture did the helpful work of tracing that down and it's from 2000 and it was put into the atmosphere by none other than Alex Jones. So you can see where she's getting her information. It was ironic that she says some things in life are real when she's (laughs) positing this insane theory. I have to say, I grew up in a pretty conservative area. It's not unheard of for me to encounter someone who doesn't celebrate Halloween, who's deeply Christian. I never have seen anybody so unwilling to put on a costume. I don't understand why the costuming was tied to Halloween. Maybe it was Halloween when they were filming. Although I have to say the land looked maybe fallish, but it didn't look like it was the beginning of November when he goes out there to cultivate his fields, experiencing his newfound passion as a farmer, learning irrigation on on the fly. I have to tell you, as someone who has a bit of a green thumb myself, it's easy to hop into gardening and understanding some of the science behind it when you're watering with a hose. Anytime you're like the ancient Mayans and you're embarking on trying to establish an irrigation system in a field with no base of knowledge, your crops are going to suffer.
0: But I mean, he obviously, I mean, what a great sight gag of just keeping continuing to go back to the irrigation system. But obviously, I mean, it, it looked a little patchwork, but I guess it worked because those vegetables and fruits, they grew very well. You had your half wa- your watermelon sticking out of the ground as watermelon do. Yeah. the the visuals of the garden and her picking from the garden as he's like, some people can just buy into this. just so good, so funny. The way they kept editing her, as Nathan suspected she might just be in it for a vacation. And there was a lot of that. And we learned about her Etsy business, selling the uh, hand, homemade ham cr- hand creams. Her How excited she was to hire a part-time nanny for her fake child so she could uh, sit at the computer and dance around the room. Vegas
1: took the bet of her having a multi-level marketing campaign side business. Took it off the board. You couldn't bet that. It was just too much easy money. The reaction to the part-time nanny In the moment, I thought, oh, well, she's going to bristle at this. She's not going to trust someone else with these kids. And it should be said, it does seem like she's pretty good at the rearing. She does have (laughs) a connection with these kids. She does seem nice enough. She does seem like she cares. And it does seem like she's trying to get at least something out of the experience. But she couldn't have jumped quicker at the idea of a part-time nanny. Yeah, I could be into that. And you knew that she was just waiting this whole time for him to posit ideas that would make her lift even lighter as she continues her quest to be the real life version of Jan Levinson Gould. She sniffed a lot of candles. It was unbelievable. This lady is exactly who you would expect her to be. We all know someone like this. A little sad, probably a good thing. She doesn't have a child of her own, probably good reasons why it didn't happen for her. Uh, I don't think it's the top priority in her life, no matter what she says. Obviously, if she were to have a real kid, this business would take a hit. And I can't imagine that they're pulling in a tremendous amount of money. They're we're still awaiting the Q two numbers here, but yeah, I think it's uh, been down for a couple quarters.
0: It seems like every every episode we're getting a different look at what this show is going to be. Uh, at first, it was it, with the the first episode with core. It looked like it was gonna be him and then Nathan for you, kind of mold, you know, doing one person going big every week, and then last week it became clear that you know things are gonna build. He's get he he brings the uh, alligator lounge to Oregon, which is just incredible. Puts in a warehouse, goes back and has conversations there quietly, solemnly drinks Coca Cola out of the bottle, and then this week we. See that and it and it looked like it was gonna more focus on him uh, building a family, him him becoming a rehearsee. And then this week we re- learned that he's doing other rehearsals at the same time in Oregon, so, which is where we meet our new friend. Well, our our single-serving friend, Patrick, who put on a hell of a show. Patrick gives Nathan a reason to. In addition to the Allier Lounge, he now has a Raising Cane's restaurant also inside the warehouse. We're going to have a whole little village by the time this season is done, and I can't wait. It's someplace he should sell tickets and just let people hang out there when this is all said and done. Uh, it's like, a
1: fa- like a fake restaurant food court where you could go and establish them. That it would be an amazing idea. How about, you know, we can get to the particulars of Patrick in a second why he needs the help. But I didn't even blink an eye at the fake Raising Cane set. No. We're in episode three and you're just accepting that, okay, well, he built another restaurant and all these people are actors. And that was driven home by the lady <laughs> fake eating the chicken wing, which was my <laughs> yeah. like top moment of the episode. She was a star in waiting. All the choices she made. You know how they talk about... Daniel Day-Lewis kind of having this innate sense where he's going to give a line reading or something physical that nobody else would think of. I don't think anybody could have looked at the camera slyly, completely missed. And, you know, it didn't even line up. You could see, like, if this was Major League Baseball video review, you could see the distance between, like, the hand and the bag. It wasn't even obscured. But Patrick needs help because he wants some of that sweet, sweet inheritance From his grandfather who died, he wears his ashes around his neck every single day, along with a Punisher necklace because the Punisher is badass. There's (laughs) one A, there's one B in his life. It's his grandfather whose diapers he changed was always there for. And then it's the fictional character, the Punisher. But his brother, Chris, does not believe that Patrick should get his hands on this money because he has a propensity to date gold diggers. And. The grandfather, in his infinite wisdom, decided to put in writing that Patrick could not have any of this money as long as he was dating a gold digger. Now, I put some calls out to some lawyers, some people who graduated law school but are doing some things outside of the law. And none of them had ever heard of this specific term, gold digger. That's actually not in our lexicon of laws. So that's kind of feeling a bit artsy for a legal term, but the girl that he's dating right now, Nessa Nessa. might be a gold digger. This is very important. So he needs help convincing his brother, Chris, that he should get this money because Nessa's intentions are only pure. Nathan brings in fake Chris to help him with this. And Patrick has trouble sticking to a coherent strategy. Part of that is because he has a lot of anti-Semitic points he needs to hit and get out there. And that presents Nathan with a real pickle. Does he step in? Does he play God? Or does he allow him to speak as Patrick and his brother, who also shares these feelings, would? He chooses to just let it fly as he sits there with a laptop wrapped around his chest, wearing it. Your initial impressions of Patrick were what?
0: Ah, uh, you know, it's it's like Angela. You just need a certain kind, of just the certain kind of mentality to uh, give yourself over to Nathan Fielder in any situation. With Nathan, for you, it was more about you didn't need to be quite like that. Um, that was more about you know getting help for your business. But these are people just looking looking for help with something in their lives. And in order to go to seek this help from Nathan, you can't be I know it's hard to describe. It's just it's not for everyone, I'll say. Patrick, you could tell he's you know with the punisher necklace and the ashes. it's 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 a different it's a different mentality, I'll say.
1: It sure is. And this brings us to the point where, much like a later season episode of Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm, the stories dovetail. As Nathan is trying to balance his role as a father while also completing the rehearsal, he needs to bring Adam to work. And he realizes as he's he's sitting there that he's doing fatherly things, but he doesn't feel like a father. And he looks back to the time with Core when the moment of truth came and Core hesitated because he realized that his algorithm, his equation that he set up for these rehearsals does not bring in the unpredictable feeling of feeling. So he attempts to replicate the same feeling that Patrick would get sitting across the table from someone who stands in his way of getting an inheritance that he thinks he deserves. And this is where Nathan pushes the thing to a whole different level. We're going inside the metaverse here. We're getting pretty inception-y where he convinces the actor playing Chris to say that he needs help moving a generator from his grandfather's farm. They go out there. Patrick and the grandfather, who is also played by an actor and in just an unbelievably convincing performance, they go out into the woods to search for buried treasure. Like No questions asked. No no questions asked. asked. The guy has a shovel. He's ready to go. I would believe that Patrick has been out in the woods digging for buried treasure before because he didn't blink an eye. At a certain point, Patrick has to change this actor's diaper. And I would say that's the moment where this show went over the line for me yeah. further than it ever has i did not care for that that was pretty messed up but the nut nut of it is that at the end they are they form this bond and this bond that patrick probably shared with his own grandfather and you can see that there's real kindness in him in While yeah, to- they're
0: watching dragon ball z
1: watching dragon ball z We know that this person is going to die in the world of Nathan Fielder, but not before he promises Patrick a decent sum of money. So that's cemented. A few days later, Nathan comes in and announced that this person has died. The actor playing Chris comes in and says, look, my grandfather wanted you to have this inheritance, but I don't feel comfortable giving it to you. They stop. They have pretty realistic interaction about Nessa being a gold digger because it's the exact situation that he's rehearsing for. Then they go to the actual rehearsal. I'll let you take it from here and talk about Patrick's performance during the actual rehearsal, which was armed with the feelings that he was
0: actually experiencing. It's just, Nathan Fielder has the ability uh, through a lot of manipulation, to get real emotion out of people he got something out of Patrick that has seems like it's been something he's had buried deep a lot of pain and sadness about his grandfather about his situation with his brother and he got to he finally got to express it and I mean it was genuine it was sad and it's a it's another thing about Patrick like all the stuff he did with his grandfather you know he's. He seems like a decent guy overall. You know, we we think he he's a little off, but he is his heart is in the right place, even if he says some things that uh that aren't acceptable uh to most people or to some people. But just it was it was just a raw, um, a raw performance. Um, and and it was nice that the fake Chris is like. All right. All right. I I understand. And, you know, it, it makes, it also makes you wonder, I mean, do they have like a few thousand dollars in the budget to, uh, to continue on with the fake dead grandpa thing to be like, well, you know, Chris realized that, you know, he really wanted you to have this because when Patrick sees this, it's got to be incredibly screwed up to, uh, experience. And realize all those emotions and how manipulated you were. He, he has to be pretty hurt right now.
1: And we never get that payoff because after that emotional scene, he kind of ghosts them. He said there was a supposed potential meetup at a carnival. Nathan says that Patrick's oh. phone died. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that he simply ghosted them. I would hope that he got some money, but my guess is that it never got that far. You know, if we could have the serious discussion about how this made us feel, I initially told my wife that this episode on the whole made me feel more positive than the first two. But in talking through it with you, I think that this was the most fucked up thing that he did. Take away the diaper element out of it obviously patrick needs money and to dangle this fake money in front of him seemed very mean-spirited and just kind of wrong and i don't really know what lesson we're supposed to learn from it we see multiple times nathan is kind of grappling with how much he lies even when he's watching the cartoon With his child. It's about lying. It's about trying to deduce what the actual truth is. My theory is that Nathan believes because he's undergoing the same rehearsal, as it were, as the people who are participating in it at his whim. I would say that makes him feel a bit more justified in what he's doing. But it is just like, everything else when there is a power dynamic people can't really say no and they get taken advantage of and i'm not so sure that the payoff is really worth it considering the damage that's being inflicted on patrick especially because he has every right to be furious about this he from the get-go was someone who was probably wronged like who cares if you're dating someone who is only after the money? It's it's he's entitled to that money. What happens to it afterwards is of no concern. Okay, so the grandpa put a clause in there, wanting to make sure that he doesn't get taken advantage of. I got news for everybody involved. Patrick's a grown up. He's a big boy. He can make his own decisions. So he came to this from a place of being wrong, and I feel like he walked away maybe with some catharsis but Mm -hmm. not real catharsis because who knows if he ever had that conversation
0: with his brother and he was only further manipulated. The show is so funny, (laughs) but you go and you really think about some of the things that are happening and you know, it's, it's kind of fucked up. It's performance art. It's comedy. It's, I love it. I, it, it makes me feel like the part where the fake grandpa Ask them to help wipe and clean up. Like you hope that's where you're like, man, I hope kind of some of this is fake. But you don't, but you don't get the feeling that any of it is. But then also at the same time, you have the visual of while that's happening. Nathan's standing behind a tree with his laptop, which is absolutely hilarious and just but also so wrong because he's over there playing God. I don't know. It is it is just unlike anything I've ever seen. It makes me laugh. I watch it over and over again and then briefly feel bad about it sometimes.
1: Right, so your experience probably mirrors that of Nathan. We see the world building is only getting more complex through three episodes. Now it's kind of collapsing on itself. How much deeper can he really go? The, the closing scene that you mentioned that you loved is much like the children are being swapped out for more mature versions. The vegetables in the garden are being swapped and the cucumbers and squash just placed full, fully formed in the ground. Unbelievable. It was great to watch Angela harvest those, the the product of all her uh, not so hard work, but it's just getting more and more involved and elaborate, and you wonder if he's going to keep all these storylines, or at least the ones that he can, up in the air while he's juggling them. I think the fact that we had the third episode of the series end without resolution and show the shortcomings of what this project is, at least suggests to me that we might be in line for some more disappointing results down the road. He's going to make it entertaining, but I thought the choice to air this one third and I maybe it had to, because it came after the second one, which was a continuation of him living with Angela, but I'm going to go ahead and read in a little bit. And the fact that this one came so early in the run that we might be in for more situations that don't pan out because you see the amount of work that goes into putting everything out i don't think he is content to leave anything on the editing room floor or just scrap a project i believe that he thinks whatever he's doing has to have some sort of end and needs to be presented even if presenting it puts everybody involved himself included in
0: not the best light i don't think there's any limit to what he can like we saw just from incepting core with the trivia answers just the lengths they will go to to set up one one second worth of a joke with another 15 seconds worth of a joke which is very funny and going back to the child actors swapping out at night for the uh, fake kid is never not funny that is just the most incredible sight gag uh, just bring in the pig and like, oh, come on, out, out the window. Like they won't use the door. They just try and keep the illusion. I don't know, just thinking about now he has this Raising Cane's restaurant next to the Alligator Lounge. And it's like a single use Raising Cane's that never had real food. And I was surprised by how many extras were involved the entire time for the Raising Cane's thing. They had like the full restaurant. They had workers there there was a lot more uh, dry runs and one-on-one stuff with core. And now I think he's just going to, I think it's just going to keep getting bigger. And I have no idea. I I can't wait to see how big it gets. And also he's now he's playing the family thing, uh, which is also going to continue to yield incredible results as uh, he just learning different things about Angela and going back throughout the episode. like. You know, I I tried to, I did Google that. And she's like, well, Google suppresses that kind of thing because they're controlled by the devil. You know, just your standard stuff, standard married people stuff, even though they are in a non-traditional, non-romantic relationship, they're just co-parenting children as part of a rehearsal.
1: Yeah, and that was very clearly explained to the nanny who I have to say deserves part-time nanny I don't think she actually got the
0: job. Maybe she got the job. Did she get the job? Yeah, as the part-time nanny. They showed her when, and then they showed Angela on the computer or watching TV.
1: So when she walks in and pretends to know what that big countdown clock was all about, (laughs) that's how you get a job. You act as if, no notes, let's move forward. As we wrap up our discussion on episode three, I think it's important to go back to episode one because I think, the whole Willy Wonka thing is going to be the through line of the show. Mm -hmm. The first episode closes with pure imagination. There's discussion whether Wonka was the good guy or the bad guy. And what we're seeing here, whether you like the show, whether you hate the show, whether you're indifferent to the show, is you're seeing a testament to what one of the most creative and committed minds to ever do this can do. Like you mentioned, You have two fake restaurants now. What's this thing going to look like at the end? What world will he have created at the end of season one? It kind of boggles the mind. We've talked about it's not for everybody. Maybe this is not what everybody would do with their immense brain power, but it's what he has landed on. And I think that there's some good, there's some bad, but no matter where you stand on Nathan Fielder in this whole project, It is the most outlandishly complex and one-of-a-kind unique environment and just an experience that when we get on here every single week, yeah, we hit some of the stuff, but we never get to like 80% of it. And a major reason for that is it's just so hard to comprehend. It's just impossible to put it in context because you're just seeing someone up there On a trapeze with no net, trying increasingly difficult maneuvers.
0: Yeah, I I wonder if he's ever talked about it. I mean, the show is only three weeks old. It feels like this, it feels like it's been around forever now. I mean, it's maybe it's because I watched every episode like four times, but it just feels like it's ingrained in my life. I wonder if he has spoken about whether. When he is Nathan Fielder on the rehearsal, is he Nathan Fielder or is he playing Nathan Fielder? Is he supposed to be playing this Walker guy? He wouldn't do it in real life, even though he's doing it in real life, the way any other stand-up comic has a persona on stage where it's them, but it's a heightened uh, version of them. I don't know if he'd ever if he ever would address it or admit it, but he it has to be some kind because he has to have some kind of uh, emotion towards all these things that he's doing overall. It's just so good. I am. I, if I feel bad about it being so good every now and then I'm okay because it is so good. It's so good
1: because it's complicated. Everything about it is complicated, including the people that are featured on it. The protagonists, if you want to call them that in core, Angela and Patrick and Robin throw him into the mix. They all have flaws, but they have some good to them. Like they have good elements. Like one part of their personality does not eliminate all the other parts. Like it's just a complex viewing of what a human being really is. And I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to process is that we're just not accustomed To seeing that, because on other reality TV, they make them so one dimensional. Whereas here, you can vacillate between, oh, I don't care for this person at all. But by the end of the episode, I do think that Nathan is generous enough to them in his edit that we can see some good with the bad. So maybe that hits something inside where you're just struggling with your own personality, your own Mm -hmm. things in life. And it's messy and it makes you feel weird, but it makes you feel good. And I think the show would not be half as impactful if you weren't constantly grappling with what all this
0: means for the show, but also your life and life in general. I, I want to assume that he is trying to do all these things and trying to make you wrestle with uh, your feelings and how you perceive all these people, because if not, it's, it's, it's kind of dark. I, I think it is, and you know he's obviously a man with a uh, a, a grand vision and a big plan for all of this, uh, and he's willing to uh, roll the punches, as evident when uh, Patrick doesn't show up, and he's like, I, I'm getting a funnel cake. You can come join me. So he takes the key. he's like, All right, let's go to the let's go to the fair and look for uh, Patrick. He's willing, uh, or just getting in the car with Robin, and. I mean, there was back to episode two real quick. I assumed that he had 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 something to do with the setup of meeting those people. But no, he didn't. He just let her find those people. And then he just went with Robin. So he just goes wherever it takes him to go along with the Wonka big plan thing. He is George Costanza
1: driving out to the Hamptons with the Rosses always willing to take
0: it a step and an exit further. Yes. All right. So that should conclude our uh, conversation about episode three of the rehearsal. Uh, We will be back sometime later this week. We'll definitely be back next week, even though I'm on vacation, I don't care. I'm going to uh, tell all my kids to be quiet because I need to talk about the rehearsal. Daddy needs to work. So for Kyle Coster, I'm Steven Douglas. This has been the big stream from the biglead.com. We'll see you later.